This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. Once upon a time, there was a young man who lived in the north of England, Durham to be exact, where he studied violin and piano at the Durham School. He went on to Trinity College of Music in London and later received the organ scholarship to St. Catherine's College at Cambridge. You know, fairy tales can develop in interesting trajectories, and this one is no different, because our hero here is Rob Ainsley. After earning a degree in mathematics, he journeyed to Greenwich, Connecticut, to be senior organist at Christ Church, where he enjoyed a thriving life in music in Camelot. He used his time well and gained a Master of Music at the Manus College of Music in New York City, where he served as assistant to conductor Joseph Culinary in the opera department. Rob Ainsley's ascent after that was quick and sure-footed. He joined the Lindemann Program at the Metropolitan Opera as assistant conductor and pianist. He established the Greenwich Music Festival. He served as associate music director and chorus master for Portland Opera, head of music at Minnesota Opera, and chorus master at Opera Theatre of St. Louis, and ultimately director of the Caffritz Young Artist Program at Washington National Opera. Our hero has done well. But there are more turns in this journey. He has now been appointed Artistic and General Director of the Glimmerglass Festival in Cooperstown, New York. Not bad for a boy from Durham, and one who I might also add used to play the piano for me in my vocal studio. And that, folks, is Once Upon a Time. Well, I have Rob Ainsley with me today, and I am excited to speak to him about his meteoric rise within the world of opera. Good morning, Rob. It's great to have you on Center Stage. Pam, I'm so happy to be here, and I'm so happy to hear that operatic voice uh, is still <laughs> intact. You sound wonderful. It is still intact. I use it from time to time. I, I do, have I no doubt. I promise you. <laughs> so tell us, you're, you're back in Greenwich. Is this like your second home? Really? You know, it always felt like that. It was the first place I landed, and what a place to land uh, in mm-hmm. this gorgeous town, uh, about which I knew nothing when I came over. I, I was, you know, I received this phone call uh, from this crazy Anglophile who wanted me to come over and play the organ. Uh, and all I knew is that we were on the water and we were near New York. I knew nothing else about it. Uh, I arrived in the dark, couldn't even see the town. Uh, and when I was driven around the following day, uh, I'd never seen houses like this in my life. So um, <laughs> uh, what was meant to be a year quite happily turned into six. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've returned ever since many times. I have so many friends and connections here. Uh, and I seem to be coming through more and more these days because I'm now in upstate. Am I right? Is it, is it Camelot in Greenwich? Uh, it certainly felt that way to me. You know, we've do- we've done Camelot in the past, uh, uh, and uh, it's that, yeah, that's got a, an English ring to it that I very much like. I think <laughs> Ca- Camelot works for me. Yeah, it does for me too. Uh, well, how are things in Cooperstown, New York, at Glimmerglass now? Congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, It is a huge honor. Um, I never in my wildest dreams expected to be uh, running a summer festival. Uh, Some of my happiest professional years were at Opera Theatre of St. Louis, as you mentioned, which is another wonderful summer festival uh, that occurs a little earlier in the summer. Uh, And there's just a, a great coming together 
of so many people, of so many different stories and backgrounds, to make something beautiful uh, and to enjoy their summers together that makes a summer festival like, like Glimmerglass very special. So Cooperstown uh, is an idyllic place to live, I can tell you. I'm doing my best to keep my car on the road, uh, <laughs> given the weather in upstate New York, uh, and I will continue to do so. But my word, uh, in the summer, it could not be more beautiful. That's fantastic. Well, we'll get to that in a second, more about Glimmerglass later. But first, I want to talk to you about how you originally came to music. You know, I was a little bit of a late starter. I didn't really do anything specifically music musical until I was about 10. Uh, and I think my mother always wanted me to be Jimmy Page. Uh, so I got guitar lessons. Uh, and I never quite ended up being Jimmy Page or Keith Richards, uh, but I think she would have been happy with where I ended up. Uh, so she bought me a keyboard when I was about 11. I taught myself painstakingly to read the bass clef because I'd learned to read the treble clef uh, by bashing through, you know, God Save the Queen while my mother was trying to nap on the sofa. God Save the um, Queen. Yeah. Really? Really, <laughs> that, that, that was the simplest thing I could find <laughs> in the book. Um, and um, yes, it's now it's Long Live the King now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, and once I'd gotten a scholarship to go to Durham School, um, they really let me pursue anything my heart desired, uh, any interest, any area that I wanted to, to find out more. Uh, I was encouraged to follow, uh, and I took up the I was given free piano and violin lessons. Uh, I took up the organ. Uh, I directed the school choir. Uh, I sang in the school choir. So things went very quickly from that point. And I do, do credit that move to that school because it was a wonderful place to grow up. So you were a doer then, as you are now. I mean, an architect, so to speak. I think I was, so, I, I think it was very curious, um, mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. that led to projects and collaborations. Um, but I think it was that curiosity that really spurred me on. And it took a little while to rein in and pin down and kind of focus. Yeah. Um, but it started um, with the ability to kind of find out anything I wanted, and I was encouraged to do that. And gradually, I, I think, you know, it took me until after university to be able to kind of pin that down to music. Uh, and that was a choice between math and music. Uh, and I found that even though I loved math, uh, the musicians tended to spend a little bit more time having fun in the bar after hours. <laughs> uh, and that appealed to me more than doing equations at 11 p.m. I love that. So math and music jive, though, together, don't they? Absolutely. Really? I, th I think it's... Uh, I think it's really kind of an appreciation of abstract beauty. If you mm -hmm. can kind of appreciate a mathematical formula, it's the same kind of appreciation that you'll find in a Bach fugue um, or a mm. Mozart sonata. It's that kind of elegance, that balance, that mysterious balance in the universe. Uh, beyond that, I'm not sure there's much more relation. As long as you can count to four, uh, you'll do okay in both. Um, uh, or even three, I think you can get away with in music. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, I understand that you spent a few years in Portland, Oregon. I did. And, of course, that is very close to my own heart, for me being from, from Oregon myself. Um, you had a special relationship, I think, there. I mean, I, I know you loved the Pacific Northwest, or so you've told me before, but what was it about Oregon that, that really spoke to you? It, this country has always fascinated me. Mm. Uh, I... 
Um, there's nothing I like more than getting in a car and just driving for hours and hours, uh, which is why upstate is no barrier to me because I quite like driving around. Right, um, right. But the, the, the myth of the American West, it's so unlike anything that you will find in England. Uh, you can drive for as many hours as you dare in England before driving into the sea and you, the landscape... It's varied, but it doesn't change in the way that the American landscape does. You don't get these vast deserts and canyons and mountains and rivers and huge forests. Uh, there's a wilderness about it. There's a, there's a sense of freedom uh, that really defines the country that appealed to me out there. And, and truly, Portland, Oregon's like an adult playground. You have the beautiful River Gorge, you have the beach, you have the mountains, you have the skiing, you have wine country, oh, yeah. you have great restaurants, you have interesting people. Uh, it's a very special place, Portland. And how long were you there for, Rob? I think I was in Portland about seven years, uh, and that's where I met my current husband. Uh, and we've been together about 12 years uh, it's, I made a lot of friends there. I did a lot of good work there. Um, I learned a ton of opera there. Mm -hmm. I learned a ton about making opera there and what it means to be a real working professional in this business. So I credit it for an awful lot. That's fantastic. It's really interesting, you know, what you say about the whole UK uh, kind of illusion about the American West. I know every, every British person I interview, I remember Brian Catling, the Oxford Don and great artist, sitting there saying he wanted to go out to the American West and become a cowboy. He just <laughs> wanted to live he wanted to have that experience before he died, and indeed he did. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'll ever be a cowboy, uh, <laughs> but I certainly um, can't say enough about that landscape. Uh, I think it's the, one of the most incredible places on earth. Yeah, I, the, it's very the speed at which it varies mm -hmm. and the, the, the sheer magnitude and scale of the beauty that you find out mm -hmm. there is unparalleled. Mm -hmm. And where did you go after Portland then, on this rise of yours through opera houses in America? <laughs> well, um, I started working in the summers, uh, first of all, at Utah Festival Opera, uh, which is oh. now Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater. That was my first summer festival. Uh -huh. So I used to drive down to the Cache Valley. Uh, and a couple of years after that, uh, I got the position as chorus master at Opera Theater of St. Louis. Uh, which was m my first summer gig, and that started getting me out to the um, Midwest um, during the summers. Uh, and I then made the move during the year to Minnesota, uh, but I Opera Theatre of St. Louis overlapped uh, both of those appointments. So I, I sort of gradually started working my way back east um, with <laughs> uh, Opera Theatre of St. Louis <laughs> as kind of the pivot point. And you say that was a happy time for you. Why? What was the defining factor there? It's, it's that whole thing about a festival experience. I think, I think opera and theatre in a big city mm -hmm. um, can be a, a somewhat impersonal experience. You go into these enormous civic auditoriums, the Met being both the best and the worst example of those. It's you know, four and a half thousand seats and yeah. uh, the singers are miles away and they're big named stars and you can't, you can't touch them and you can't get near them and you can't speak to them after the performance. Uh, but in a summer festival, it's all about that intermingling mm. of the artists who create and make uh, and the patrons who come to watch and support and love it. Interesting. Uh, and and that, that ability to get together after a show uh, and have a drink or, you know, share a cheese board and discuss how the performance went down. 
that's what makes a summer festival a really special experience. And also the fact that you're all going to take in a whole variety of offerings. It's not just about mm-hmm. that one experience. Mm-hmm. You're going to see a whole slate of different programs that you can compare and contrast. It really gets the conversation going. And that's what music and that's what art is about. It's about bringing us together uh, and telling stories uh, that we find resonance in, that, that give meaning to what we do on a daily basis. I love that, resonance in. So this has really prepped you for this glimmer glass experience, hasn't it? Well, yeah, there's definite uh, similarities and loves uh, that go between Opera Theatre St. Louis and Glimmerglass. Happily, St. Louis happens uh, earlier in the summer. You can actually go to both if you try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, and it's that same experience. You can, have, you can have a weekend where you take in more art than you thought possible in two or three days, and you meet more people and make more connections and have more fun uh, than you, you might think you could do in a weekend. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, mm-hmm. they're both wonderful places. This is really exciting. So tell us about your experience at Washington National Opera, because I know you, you were in charge of the, the Young Artist Program. And that must have been really exciting for you, because here you are with all these young singers in the palm of your hands. You know, you had so much power and you had so much power to do something you do very well, which is to educate on on many levels. Can you share your experience with us? Yes, uh, I've I've always worked with young artists. I was one myself. Uh, those two years I spent in the Lindemann program were two of the most formative years mm-hmm. in my entire career. I learnt more in a more high-pressure environment uh, than I, I thought possible. It, mm. was, it was really crammed into me, uh, and you come out of that kind of... Um, incredible frying pan experience, a different person. Uh, You you have reserves of stamina uh, and reserves of knowledge that you you didn't have before that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've always loved um, being a young artist. I've always felt like a young artist. uh, And I ran all of the young artist programs at Minnesota and at Portland uh, Mm -hmm. and kind of oversaw them at St. Louis. So it was a natural step for me to do that. Uh, And it wasn't just the young artists, the young singers and the young pianists. Uh, I also ran the New Works Initiative called the American Opera Initiative uh, and commissioned some, you know, 30 30 new operas in my time there. So I was working with young composers and young librettists as well, really kind of bringing opera to life from the ground up. And that's something I certainly uh, will remain a part of what we do at Glimmerglass. Um, But that's something that we do with young artists and young singers, is that Mm -hmm. we can give them uh, their first experience in a leading role, and then, you know, five years later, you might see them on the stage of the Met singing that role. You might see them on the stage of the Kennedy Center singing that role. So it's it's a place where you can meet the stars uh, before they're perhaps in the firmament. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's a... a, that's a special part of running one of these summer festivals is that you get to create opportunities uh, that you will see bear fruit uh, in some really important houses and theatres across the country and internationally later. Fantastic. So this championing of contemporary works, is this something that you set out to really define yourself with in, in this operatic kind of landscape? It was strange how I came to that. Um, 
I think it was by virtue of some of the companies that I worked with. Mm -hmm. So Minnesota Opera has a long history of world premieres and commissions. Mm -hmm. um, and I worked on several while I was there, including Kevin Putt's second opera. He's obviously his opera, The Hours, I'm going to see tonight. Um, but uh, The Manchurian Candidate was his second piece, and I workshopped that. The Shining, Paul Moravec's piece uh, um, with Mark Campbell is um, going... Uh, all around the country, uh, fascinating work, and I, I spent three years of my life working on on The Shining. I was very proud when it finally went up. But Opera Theatre of St. Louis uh, puts out a, a string of world premieres uh, and works that have been commissioned within the last kind of 50 years that deserve a second performance. Uh, so new work, by virtue of the companies that I worked with, was always a part of my life. Uh, and I got mm -hmm. to continue that when I went to Washington National Opera. But I started with Bach and Mozart, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. I started very much in the past. Uh, and it's been great to have my boundaries pushed in the course of my careers to the, to the other side, the other end of the spectrum, right into the modern day. But this is a movement I see across America right now, championing contemporary opera. It's very exciting because much of the work is genuinely good. You know, I mean, albeit some people want to go to the opera and see a traditional, you know, Puccini uh, evening. But there are so many exciting young composers out there and, and so many elements to this with young librettists as well, like you mentioned Mark Campbell and all. It, it's, it's interesting, very interesting. Yeah, and it's definitely something that American opera does particularly well. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, your work is commissioned mm -hmm. uh, in Europe uh, and it does go up, but they... Um, you know, thanks largely to the huge amount of state support they they have, uh, the opera and the traditional Western canon is kind of very much a part of their, their daily offerings. And they don't mm -hmm. focus in the same way that America does on contemporary opera. And I think a large part of that is this incredible American ability to get things done in society mm. when it wants to. It's always, um, it has a pendulum that swings very far, America, mm -hmm. uh, but when it swings, it does it with real determination. Mm -hmm. And this move towards greater equity and diversity and inclusion mm -hmm. in the arts specifically, uh, one of the ways we can do that in opera, which has such a kind of, you know, formalized canon that's all dead white guys one of the ways we can change that dynamic one of the ways we can change that narrative is by creating new work and having mm -hmm. people from all cultures and backgrounds tell their stories yeah and that's it's exciting some, very yeah. exciting so to that end um is this the arena you want to stay in this very proactive american arena do you see yourself going back to europe i <laughs> Uh, I have little reason to go back to the north of England because I've seen all of the old <laughs> stones now, <laughs> uh, other than my wonderful dad and my, my sister and my mm -hmm. aunt. Um, uh, so it's, it's good to get back to see them. Uh, but my whole career has been over here. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the way I make art, the way I uh, develop projects, uh, all of the connections, all of the friendships I've made along the way, all of the artists that I love to work with uh, and that I've, I've perhaps helped and given opportunities to in the past, they're all based in this country. Mm -hmm. So it would take a lot to drag me back to Europe uh, and to reestablish all of those connections. But you never know what the future is. You never know. Yes. I mean, I presume you've been headhunted for all these opera positions you've had so far. You never know. I mean, Munich or the Royal Opera House may be calling soon. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then you really have a decision. Well, uh, that, that's very flattering to hear. I think I'll be focusing on Glimmerglass for at least <laughs> the next few years, uh, and I'm very happy to be doing so. It's, uh, so, Rob Ainsley, you are tenacious. Do you feel that that is a key element in the music business these days for someone like yourself to stay afloat? I think you have to be, uh, being an artist, and it doesn't matter where you live, it doesn't matter whether it's America or the continent, it doesn't matter when you live, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter whether it was 400 years ago or today, uh, it's a vocational activity. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, obviously, there's a move to try and make that easier, uh, but it's never been easy. Uh, and you have to need to do it. You have to you have to have something to say, and you have to have a reason that you love saying it so much, and what you have to say is so important to you. Um, so yeah, it's a vocational activity, and it never will be easy. It never has been easy. So I think every artist, in their way, has a singular vision and is tenacious. So again, that's very flattering, but I don't think that's unique in me. Um, what what this position does give me the opportunity to um, to do is is to give back, uh, right. and that's what's very important to me at this point in my life. I feel like the business has given me so much. This town gave me so much. You gave me so much, uh, and everywhere I turn, every meal I have, every phone call I make, I'm constantly reminded of all of the steps and all of the people that have helped me get to where I am uh, and how grateful I am to be here. So tell me about your work process. I mean, are you one of those guys that loves to, like, develop an idea? Or do you enjoy that more than the actual execution of it? So by process, you mean... uh, Like when you're developing an idea or a project or including new singers, you know? Are you the kind of guy that lays in bed at night and thinks, okay, how can I design this now, (laughs) you know? And that's where you really get the high. You know, the creative process for me has always been um, uh, full of turmoil. Um, (laughs) I I, I sweat and I bite my nails and I lie awake at night and I rack my brains and I research and I redo and I rethink mm-hmm. um, and I would say that's that's not unusual. I'm, I'm grappling mm. with 2024 at the moment uh, and mm. there are so many pieces that I love so dearly. There are so many artists that I want to involve uh, there are so many ideas that I have floating around but then of course uh, like any good problem there are tons of constraints. I have to yep. think about can we afford this? Do we have the time in the schedule to be able to to do this is this artist available is that the right piece to do at this time does mm-hmm. that tell the right story um, so uh, th- that's that's an important part of the process is that all of that kind of struggle and work and effort that you put in uh, and then when finally the curtain goes up uh, the public just gets to see the the top of the pyramid you know they get to see the the sparkling gem at the top there you go oh boy said by rob ainsley so well <laughs> so you're taking over after francesca zambello who who ran glimmer glass for over a decade so now what is your vision rob for glimmer glass francesca was um responsible for turning Glimmerglass Opera into the Glimmerglass Festival. She really expanded the slate of offerings to include musical Mm theatre, to include um, second stage works, uh, perhaps in our pavilion, to include lectures and talks. And that's a legacy that I'm really fond of. Uh, and I think was part of the reason that I was given the position. I, I have very eclectic tastes. Um, I love 
Baroque opera as much as I love uh, Carousel or the great works of the golden age of musical theatre. And we will continue to offer all of those. But the most important thing for me is finding the next stars, the next rising um, generation Mm -hmm. of talent and giving them special opportunities before uh, they get snapped up by the big institutions. I love making stars. I love polishing those jewels. um, And uh, that's what really excites me. So you like the development stage, don't you? I do. do. That's my young artist (laughs) training kind of uh, that comes through. So I'm really excited about putting up Uh, perhaps some pieces that have never been seen before, some world premieres. Mm -hmm. Um, As much as I am excited about, you know, rediscovering Baroque opera that hasn't been done in a new way with a a crazy new director and a new point of view that's resonant in our times Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, and and giving you Anthony Rothkostanzo, who will be here this coming summer, next to perhaps the next uh, great countertenor as we do that. So... Yeah, I want people to be able to come to Glimmerglass to have a wonderful experience and to discover both works of art, works of musical theatre that they might not have seen mm-hmm. uh, or known before live uh, in innovative productions uh, and to find the next generation of stars and to be able to have a drink with them after the performance. Absolutely. And they can also visit the Baseball Museum and have a beautiful time in Cooperstown. Well, I mean, if hey. you're going to be in Cooperstown, you have to see the Baseball <laughs> Hall of Fame. Well, and why not? that's what I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> so just quickly, before we wrap up, I just want to know, you have been collaborating with a lot of great artists. I mean, Renee Fleming being one. I think you just did a recital with Alison Cambridge. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, talk to me about that aspect of your life and how much that means to you. I've always played for singers. Uh, I was never going to play Rachmaninoff with an orchestra. I realized that I I would have had to start at the age of two and be a little bit more single-minded than I perhaps am. (laughs) Uh, So uh, collaborating with with singers always gave me the greatest joy, Uh, following their breath, following their dynamics, their musical expression, really putting that pad down for them to kind of soar over. Mm. Uh, And I learned that from you. I I learned all about the breath from you. I learned all about, uh, you know, what a real operatic vocal production was from you and others. Uh, And I found that playing the piano creatively was where I could really leverage everything that I'd learned. It's where I was happiest. And again, it was about supporting uh, and creating and giving opportunity to, rather than necessarily being the star of the show myself. So, so exciting. That's where I'm happiest. Well, and just quickly, give me that one word or phrase that describes who you are from the heart, Rob Ainsley. Well, at this moment in time, especially at this time of year, it has to be grateful, Pam. I love it. Hey, everyone out there, I want you to go to glimmerglass.org where you can gain more information about this festival and about Rob Ainsley. And I hope you'll visit my website at centerstagewithpamelacoon.com for more information. In the meantime, thank you, Rob Ainsley, for being my guest. Everyone stay safe out there. This is Pamela Coon, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage. <laughs> <laughs>